Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his house at Gebeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord was sorry that he had ever made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? For I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will lead you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about this, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you will anoint the one I name to you. Samuel did as the Lord commanded and set out. He came to Bethlehem. And the leaders of the city came to him, trembling. Do do you come peaceably? Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And Samuel sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed now stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to him, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, for the Lord does not see as mortals do. Mortals look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse made Abinadab pass by Samuel. And Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by Samuel. And, the Lord, and Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Are all your sons here? Jesse said, Well, there, there's yet the youngest, but he's out tending the sheep. Send and bring him, for we will not sit until he comes here. So they sent, and they brought him. Now, he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Rise, anoint him, for this is the one. So Samuel took his horn and anointed him in the presence of all his brothers. The Spirit of the Lord fell mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel set out for Ramah. Hear now the word of God as it comes to us from the fifth chapter of Second Corinthians. So we are always of good courage, We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. For the love of Christ controls us, because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, 
that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once regarded Christ from a human point of view, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The word of the Lord. So as Patrick alluded to, this is indeed a full service. Service. Thanks be to God for, um, for the gift of our generation. For you, George, for your wisdom, for your service here, for saying nice things about us. <laughs> Knowing that this would be a full service, this is a, a shorter time for a sermon, and in many ways, the sermon has been stretched out and will be stretched out through the entire service. We heard Patrick talking with the children and with the graduates about how we see one another. You're going to hear more about that. We heard George talking about how he sees all of you and how your vision helps you move through this place and beyond. These, this is all our sermon. This is our liturgy. This is our work. The work of the people. And so let us continue our work together in prayer. Holy and gracious God, continue to be with us today as we consider the stories of your people and the gift of how you see. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Amen. Those of you that were here, those of you that were here last week, heard the story of the Israelites begging for a king. Every other nation has a king, they said. We want one too. They saw what all the other nations had, and they, they just wanted to be like all the other nations. They needed a king. Things were not good. They were looking at Samuel, who was the prophet that worked with them, that God had called, and they looked at his sons, as Larry told us, and thought, that's not going to work. We need a king. Samuel knew that this was a bad idea. God is the king. Israel must act differently, see things differently, but they demanded a king, and so God said, give them what they want. Only tell them how it will be. And so we hear that Saul is called as the first king, and it's not the, the people that call Saul, it is God. God continues to work with the Israelites despite their demand for a king. 
So that was last week's lectionary text, and the lectionary is the prescribed reading for each week. And then this week's lectionary text from 1 Samuel 15, so we were in 8, starts with, and the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. And he asked Samuel to go and anoint for him the future king. The lectionary skips over all the stuff about Saul. How did we get here? This actually is not the end of Saul's story, for even though David is anointed, nobody really gets, besides Samuel, what he is being anointed for. And the passage begins, then Samuel went to Ramah, and then it ends, then Samuel went to Ramah. So it's sandwiched in between these two verses about Samuel going to Ramah as if to indicate this is an aside story. While Saul continues to be king, while Saul continues to see himself as king, and while Saul grows in his own importance, hence God regretting choosing Saul, 1 Samuel takes this moment to tell us about the anointing of David. Now throughout the book of 1 Samuel, we see that we have a vision problem. There is the way that humans see, the way that mortals see, and there is the way that God sees. It begins with Samuel's call. Samuel, Samuel, says God. And Samuel gets up and says, here I am, and runs to Eli, Eli, sorry, and runs to Eli, the priest. You called me, and Eli has no idea what's going on. Neither of them can see, and finally they are brought to the vision whereby they see, oh, it is indeed God who is calling Samuel, a young boy, to be for God a prophet. God does not see as mortals see. Then Saul becomes king and he decides to take matters into his own hand. He hears the instructions by God, but goes beyond them. Decides that he knows what's best. See, Saul sees himself as ruler, as king, and in the meantime forgets who the real, true king is which leads to his downfall. He does not see himself as God sees him. So God comes to Samuel and says to him, we need to make a new plan. I, am, I have rejected Saul. It's, it's time to move on. And Samuel is distraught because Saul's still the king. This is dangerous territory that he's entering into, that God is asking him to go and anoint for God another king. But Samuel partners with God, even though he doesn't see what's going on. He, some might say, walks by faith and not by sight, and goes and finds 
Jesse and his family and gathers them together for worship. A risky endeavor. And he knows that there he will find God's anointed, God's future king, the future king of the Israelites. But then Samuel sees the sons before him and thinks, with the eldest, as most people would think, because the eldest was the one that would do the primary inheriting, was the most important son in the family. God sees the first, I mean, Samuel sees the first son and says, surely this is the guy. This is the one that, that God will anoint to be king. Samuel sees this and God says, no. Mortals don't see like I see. And so they go through all of the sons. Well, all of the sons, except for the one, the youngest one, the second-class son who has been left to tend the sheep because somebody's got to tend the sheep, and it's probably realistically best if it's the youngest son, the most expendable son, the least valued son, David, Jesse's son. Samuel now knows that none of the sons before him that Jesse has brought with him are the chosen ones, and he says, Look, do you have any other sons? Probably wondering what God was doing. And Jesse confesses that he has yet another son. And so they stay there and wait. Who knows for how long for David to come and join them. And it is David, the forgotten, the left behind, the least likely to succeed in the family who is chosen to be king. I do not see as mortals see, says God. I see with the heart. I wish I could tell you that from there on, everything was great. Everyone saw from the heart from that day forward. David was a perfect king, and things worked out all right. The end. But the humans, the mortal ones, continued to see as humans see. David did a lot of great things and was also not a great guy. God still worked through him. There are so many times in Scripture where we are told that the people want or see one thing, and God says, sorry, I know what you were expecting, but I don't see as humans see. When we encounter God, we often find that our expectations are flipped on their heads. God says, you expected this, I give you this. This story begs us to ask ourselves, what are we not seeing? Where do we need to align ourselves with God's vision of the world? Listening to a story about a young boy who is forgotten, we are called to ask ourselves, who is missing from this place? Or of the people that are here, whose stories do we not know? Who has not been called upon to do the work of God? 
Who is missing? What stories are not with us? We are called to walk not by sight, but by faith. And notice that walking is paired with seeing, with real God seeing. When we see as God God sees, we will encounter not the ordinary, but the extraordinary. In fact, this time in the church calendar, I believe it says on the front of your bulletin, is ordinary time. For for preachers, it's when we have to wear green stoles forever, and it gets really boring. And it's all the other stories that seem non-seasonal. But some people have started to call ordinary time kingdom time. Imagine reorienting your eyes, your vision, and putting on your kingdom glasses. What would it be like to move through your day seeing the world as God sees it? I am so thankful, as has been lifted up, to be in a place where in one single service we have before us on the chancel someone celebrating their 60th anniversary of their ordination, two um, almost middle-aged pastors, (laughs) expecting a lot of longevity there, children up front, and there's another, there's children featured at the end of the service, youth, young adults and high school students, and older adults being sent to be with our brothers and sisters in Haiti, all in one service, and it felt jam-packed, and it feels a little bit crazy, and it is amazing. God does not say, see with my eyes so that you can be happy. God does not say, see with my eyes and everything will be better. God just says, see with my eyes. When we start to see with God's eyes, it's going to be messy, It's going to involve risk. It may not always work out for us. We will be considered fools at times because we do not see as humans see, because we do not value as humans value. But let us be fools for God. When Jesus Christ came to the table on that last night before he was crucified, his disciples gathered there and saw a friend and a mentor, a teacher, and a healer. And God saw with his heart all the people that God came to save. And he said, this is my body, and this is my blood, and this is for you. See. Amen.